Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known to the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about this radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're looking at the life of Matthew, a sinner, a cheat, a liar, a thief, everything that we are without Christ's saving work in our lives. Matthew reminds us to never give up hope for anyone and to pray for all that they would come to repentance and salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man, or in the Greek it could be the man, called Matthew, sitting in the tax office or the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at a table in the house, and now look, some things have taken place here, really rapid succession. It's very interesting. Matthew is so humble that he actually gives the least amount of information of of himself, between himself and Mark and Luke, in terms of what took place in him beginning to follow Christ. But we read in Luke and in Mark as well that Matthew, as a result of following him, he left all that he had to follow him. That's what Luke tells us. And then in his home, Luke tells us, that Matthew assembled a great party in his home, a festival, and invited all of his friends and all the people to come, all of Jesus' disciples to come to his house for this great banquet. And this is what we read about in verse 10. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, there's Jesus now, he's in Matthew's home, he's reclining at the table that Matthew has set out for all these individuals. Behold, many tax gatherers, that's a bad word, folks, and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Jesus said to him, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting Hosea 6.6. And the interesting thing is he's quoting a statement that God has declared through Hosea the prophet where God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And now Jesus speaks with the same voice as God spoke in Isaiah 6.6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus says, and this had to be particularly galling to the Pharisees because in saying it this way, Jesus is putting his voice with the voice in Hosea 6.6. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am God. I am making the statement. He says, read and understand what it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see? And obviously Jesus is making now two things that bother him. First, they're bothered that he ate with sinners. And now they're bothered that Jesus would somehow blend his voice with the voice of God. But Jesus is right in doing that because Jesus is God. Now, we've already established that Matthew was a sinner. Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were not people that individuals simply had a prejudice against. You know, there's a prejudice people can have towards certain occupations, but in Jesus' day, people hated tax collectors. But it wasn't simply because they had a prejudice against an occupation. They hated tax collectors because tax collectors were sinful, wicked individuals. Tax collectors were individuals who regularly stole from the people. 
they were gathering customs for the Roman government. And so in a part, they had come in league with the Roman government that was oppressively ruling Israel. They had sold out their own people. And not only that, in regulating and gathering all these customs, no one exactly knew what the customs were because they shifted from place to place. And there were taxes on everything. And these tax collectors were the guys who added a little bit to the top for themselves and add a little bit to the bottom for themselves. And they became very wealthy by stealing and robbing from the people. So that when tax collectors came to John the Baptist and said, John the Baptist, we want to be baptized, we want to repent, and we want to get ready for the kingdom, what do we need to do? John the Baptist, knowing the life of tax collectors, said, well, from now on, don't collect from people any more than they're supposed to pay. Because that's what tax collectors did. And when Jesus spoke of tax collectors, Jesus put tax collectors in the same list as prostitutes. And Jesus put tax collectors in the same list as pagans or those who worshiped idols. And in the passage we read, the Pharisees, they just lump them together with sinners because that's what they were. A tax collector, at least every single time, every single day that he sat in his booth, committed or broke three of the Ten Commandments. He committed at least three sins. First, he coveted what other people had. Second, he lied about what other people owed in order that third, he could steal from them their possessions. He coveted and he lied and he stole and that was a part of his occupation. That's what he did on a day in and day out basis while he sat in his tax booth. And that's what Matthew was doing as well. Matthew was a sinner. We established that. But now having said all that, let's learn a few things from Matthew's life and what's happened here. And the first thing that we need to understand and learn from this story of Matthew the tax collector, and it's very simple as this, that no person is beyond the saving grace of God. No person is beyond the saving grace of God. Let's understand a little bit about Matthew. I think it's very likely that Matthew was the son of righteous parents. Mark chapter 2 verse 14 where it gives us this account identifies Matthew as Alphaeus's son. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. You'll find it's very interesting that there was one other apostle among the twelve that Jesus selected to follow him, and his name was James, the son of Alphaeus. And so it's very likely that Matthew and James were brothers. James' name would have been Jacob, that they were brothers and they were a part of a righteous family and they had been raised to serve God and they had been raised with an anticipation for the Messiah to come to Israel. And James had been the good son and Matthew had been the bad son who had wandered away from teaching and instruction that he'd received. And if you understand Matthew, you can tell that Matthew was an individual who had been well instructed in the scripture and the law. If you look at the book of Matthew and you read it, you'll find out that other than the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, there's no book in the New Testament that more closely and wonderfully and intricately intertwines the instruction and teaching that you find in the Old Testament and all the scriptures together to show how perfectly they weave together to present Christ as the fulfillment of everything that was preached about and talked about in the Old Testament law. How did Matthew come to know all of that? Well, from a young boy. Matthew would have received instruction from his parents and his father. His father had been faithful in teaching him and obeying that commandment that he was to teach his children of the law while he walked in the way and when he rose up in his household and when they went to bed at night and as they were over their meals and he had received that instruction. And not only that, Matthew would have gone with his brother Jacob to the synagogue school and there as well they would have been instructed and taught and they would have had fanned within them this sense of anticipation that God was yet to send a savior among his people. 
And Matthew knew all these things. And now, when Matthew goes about to writing his gospel, his whole goal is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the anticipated king or savior for Israel. That he is the son of David. That's what Matthew is very careful in showing through all the lineage. And that he is the son of Abraham. He is the promised seed that has come to crush the serpent's head. You see? But it reveals to us something about Matthew. Matthew had received an education in all these things from a young boy. In fact, some traditions say that Matthew initially wrote a gospel or a primary or preliminary gospel and that he wrote it in Hebrew for all the Jewish people to read. And then he's the first one to have written this gospel that we read here, this one that was written in Greek. The other thing we found out is that Matthew's name was Levi. Now, that's very interesting. You know what that tells us? It tells us that Matthew was a member of a certain tribe he was a member of the tribe of Levi. He was a member of the Levitical priesthood in Israel. So that as Matthew was growing up, Matthew had before him the opportunity and the privilege and the right and the responsibility to become a priest who would minister in the temple and who would serve God before all the people of Israel. That was what Matthew was being groomed for, was to be of the certain special tribe that God had established in Israel that would provide the spiritual ministration to all the rest of the tribes and all the people of Israel. And this was Matthew's opportunity. This was his privilege. But instead of becoming a priest, Matthew becomes a publican. That is, Matthew becomes a tax collector. Instead of serving and spiritually serving his people by the right that God had given him, this privilege God had given him, being a part of the Levitical tribe, Levi decides instead to rob from them, to line his own pocket, to satisfy his own passions and his own desires. And so this is what he became. And as a result, Levi, Matthew, became a sorrow to his own family. His actions brought shame on his whole family. There's a Jewish proverb that was common in that day, and it said this, Take not a wife out of that family wherein is a publican. That's a tax collector. For they are all tax collectors and thieves and robbers and wicked sinners. Don't even marry someone who has a brother-in-law or a brother or a cousin who's a tax collector. It tells you the whole family's full of them. They're all a bunch of sinners. And so when Levi, when Matthew decided to sell out his country and to sell out his priesthood privileges in order to gain wealth for himself by robbing the people, he also sold out his family. He sold out his righteous father and his righteous mother and he sold out his brother and he sold out all his kin in order to gain wealth for himself. He betrayed them all and he caused tremendous sorrow upon them. And in the result of all this was Matthew really sold out himself. Do you know the things that people will do in order to gain things and get wealth and gain prestige and privilege and recognition or whatever it is that they crave, the cost and the expense that they go through in order to have that? A man will satisfy a moment of lust in the process. He will sell out his wife and his children and his family and his future. All that men will do at such a tremendous expense. Matthew has done just exactly this in a way that I think most of us would have a hard time imagining. And so now Matthew has, in a sense, put himself in a hell-bent fashion. He's gained a head of steam in his pathway down to perdition, in rebellion against the things of God and against his family and against his nation. And as people saw Matthew, they would have likely assumed that this guy is beyond transformation. 
Here's a man who has had all kinds of barriers put before him that would have put a sign up before him, tell him to stop in this passion and this pathway that he was taking, but he crashed through all the barriers. He had gone through one red light after another red light. This is a guy who is hell-bent on hell, and there's no way to stop him. And they would have said, this man is beyond, he is beyond transformation. But what we learn is that no man is beyond the saving grace of God. No man is beyond transformation. Maybe for a moment, you could relate this to some individual in your family or someone who you've known for a long time, who you've prayed for and interceded for and asked that God would get a hold of their lives and turn them around and bring them to himself. And you've thought, you know, we've been praying this prayer for so long and all I see is this person gaining speed, heading in the opposite direction. They show no interest, no desire, no impulse to turn to the things of God and you're ready to give up on them. You're ready to think, really, this person is beyond hope. But what we learn in this is that no man is beyond hope. No man is beyond the grace of God to turn him back. And so Matthew teaches us, and well, we need to remember it, that no man can fall too far away from the saving grace of God. And here's the application for ourselves. The application is this, hope for all, hope for all, and do not give up hope for any. You see? In prayer, hope for all, and do not give up hope for any in prayer and in your lives seeking to bring men to Christ. No man is too far away from the saving grace of God. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.